0: Good evening everybody. Glad to have you here. We have a little bit extra crowd here tonight. Appreciate the high school class being here with us tonight. I'm uh, substituting for Nathan. Appreciate him asking me to fill in tonight on uh, our study of Isaiah. Um, If you don't have a handout, um, I think Lewis was handing them out, still is. If anybody needs one, just raise your hand. Um, I, I have nothing to do with the handouts or the slides. Nathan did all of that, so he did a great job prepping for this class. Um, so if you enjoyed that, it's all Nathan. If you don't enjoy it, it's on me. <laughs> um, we are going to start actually not in Isaiah, throwing you a curveball here, but we're going to start in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, if you'd be turning there. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and we're going to start talking about King Hezekiah. Okay, pop quiz time. I know it's late, it's Wednesday night, it's auditorium. Nobody likes to do this, but this is an easy one. This is like a true false, okay? 50 50 chance of getting this one right, okay? Hezekiah, good king or bad king? Good king, good king. correct, okay? And in fact, if you look at Second Chronicles, beginning like chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, there's three whole chapters of all the reforms that Hezekiah did to bring back the worship of the Lord. And um, he, was, he was very dedicated to what, what, he, what he wanted to do. Um, in fact, he began, he began his reforms... It says in the first month of the first year of his rule. So as soon as he got in, he was like all about repairing the the doors of the temple, about kicking all the bad stuff out of there, about restoring proper worship. So after those three chapters, we get to 2 Chronicles 32. And it's recorded here, it says, after these deeds of faithfulness, what deeds of faithfulness? what we just talked about, right? Chapters 29, 30, and 31, where he is bringing back the proper worship of God. Okay, so after all those deeds of, of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So the king of Assyria has come out of the north, has come down into Judah, because there's some rebellion going on. Sennacherib's predecessor, Sargon II, had these cities under his thumb, and when he died, there was a rebellion that was starting up, and so Sennacherib decided he was going to come down there and kind of quash that rebellion and bring them back under his rule, and so that's why he's coming down into Judah and encamping against the fortified cities. Now look in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 32.2, and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. He consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city, and they helped him. Now, this is kind of interesting. So, here's Hezekiah. He sees that Sennacherib has come. Obviously, Sennacherib is not there for a friendly visit. right? He's brought his army with him. Okay, He's looking for battle. He's not looking for diplomacy. Um, So he sees that his purpose was to make war. And not only does does Hezekiah see that his purpose is to make war, where specifically does Hezekiah see that, that Sennacherib has his sights set on? Jerusalem. Okay, And that makes sense, right? It's the capital city. It's the biggest one. It's the most fortified. It would make sense that that would be the place to go. And so he consults with the leaders and commanders of his army, but look what, he, look, look, look what he does when he consults with them. He's not consulting with them about how to organize his armies. He's not talking about what kind of weapons technology they need to employ, what kind of tactics they need to use, right? What, is he, what does he talk to them about? Logistics. logistics. <laughs> so there's a quote, a very famous quote, right, is, is talking about, about war, is that amateurs talk tactics and professionals talk logistics, right? And so what is the one thing you absolutely have to have in order to live? Water. And what happens most time when cities are under siege? The water gets cut off, right? And so the people inside have no water. It doesn't take very long before people start to die from the lack of water. Right? You can go for a lot longer with the lack of food, but you have to have the water. And so the very first thing Hezekiah is talking to his commanders here about is is how to stop up the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. He says, Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? So this is doing two purposes, right? One, it's denying the Assyrian army water, and two, it's providing water inside of Jerusalem for the siege that Hezekiah knows is coming. Right, And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also, he, he repaired the millow, that's a, that's a citadel, in the city of David in Jerusalem, and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement. Saying, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. What kinds of good things do you see here? What is Hezekiah doing what has he done here in order to help out his people? <laughs> belt, belt and suspenders. He's saying, Bill said he's prepared, he's preparing physically, but he also has a tremendous amount of faith in God, and he really knows that's ultimately where his salvation is going to come from, right? So yeah I totally agree with that. What, what are the things do you see here that, that Hezekiah does yeah he was he was really leading from the front, wasn't he? Um, this reminds me, it seems a lot like, like Nehemiah in some ways. You know, the way that he built, and he was not just building walls, he was building people. Right? He was, he was encouraging his people by telling them, don't be dismayed. You're going to look out there and you're going to see the army of Assyria. And your physical eyes are going to say, we don't have a chance. Because there's way more of them than there are of us. He says, don't look at it that way. Don't look at it with those kind of eyes. You need to look at it with the spiritual eyes. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them, right? Just like Elijah was, 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 was showing his, his servant the, the fact that there was, there was all kinds of angels around him. Same kind of idea. We need to have that, that faith in God that, that even, even things look really dim for us physically. It looks like we got no chance, but if we're on God's side, then we're on the right side. We're on the side who has the strength, who has the advantage. Okay, Lewis? Joshua, right? Yeah, strong and courageous. They're, they're thinking about Joshua as well, right? A of all the great that God did. Right. Right, absolutely. A, a good reminder of, of God, how God has been faithful before. And how he's going to continue to be faithful for, for them, right? But I do really appreciate the fact that Hezekiah is not just, he has a strong faith in God. And we, we just talked about those three chapters where he does all this reformation to bring proper worship back. But he's not satisfied with just saying God's going to take care of us. He's also physically preparing for the army that's coming. He's, he's digging this tunnel uh, to bring the water in. This, this tunnel still exists, by the way, under Jerusalem. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's about 1,800 feet long, carved in pure limestone. And it still exists today. This is the tunnel where he brought water into the city so that they'd be able to, to survive the siege. So he had a lot of preparation, a lot of time and effort that he went into thinking about getting stuff ready physically for Jerusalem but even more importantly, he was ready spiritually. Where He knew where his trust was. He was not going to trust in the weapons and, and his generals. His trust was in the Lord God Almighty. All right, let's turn now to Isaiah, since we, that is the, the topic of this class, and Nathan will be very upset if I don't talk about it. So, Nathan chapter, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, <laughs> Isaiah chapter 36, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 36. Now, it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so now we know how long it's been since Hezekiah's been king and, and Sennacherib is now coming. King of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So that's a new bit of information. Before in Second Chronicles, it just said it came, he came up against them. Now he's, he's saying he actually has conquered them, right? And, and the king of Assyria is going to send his servant with a great army to Jerusalem. And this servant... Called the Rabshakeh, comes up, and um, Hezekiah sends three of his servants out to meet him Uh, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joab. And in verse 4, it says Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So, notice that, 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 the, that the servant here is, is saying, yeah, you're talking, Hezekiah, you're, you're saying that you've got plans and power for war, but, you know, it's just words. If you're going to trust in alliances with Egypt, you need to be aware that if you if you lean on Egypt, it's going to be like leaning on a broken reed. A broken reed doesn't have really any support, right? You think that it's a solid stick, but you, as you lean on it, it's going to crack and break and it's actually going to pierce you. Did, did Isaiah ever warn, did God through Isaiah ever warn the kings of Judah about Making alliances with Egypt. Simple yes or no question. You got a 50-50 on this one, okay? Did he? Yes. Multiple times, okay? Multiple times. And was God in favor of making alliances with the Pharaoh of Egypt, or was he against it? Again, 50-50. He was against it, okay? He said, don't do that, all right? So... Is the servant of Sennacherib here in agreement with God? Yeah, he says, he says, you can't trust Egypt. And God said, you can't trust Egypt. So, so far, absolutely, 100%, we're on, we're on the same page here. Okay, But now, let's go to verse 7. Isaiah 36, 7. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God... Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar? Now, this one's a little bit of a head scratcher. You've got to think about this one, okay? So here's the servant of Sennacherib. He has, he has seen his master, Sennacherib, King Sennacherib, conquer a bunch of different nations and some big cities, important cities across Mesopotamia, okay? He has a huge empire. And in all of those, these places have had gods, okay? They had places of worship. They had altars. And in every single one of them, this guy has seen all of those burned, destroyed, taken over, all right? So now he says, you're going to trust in God... How can you trust in God when Hezekiah has taken away all those high places and those altars? Does this servant of Sennacherib have a, have a proper understanding of what it is that Hezekiah did? Clearly not, right? What were, the, what were the Jewish people doing at those high places and those altars that Hezekiah took away? They were worshipping idols, Right? He's interpreting this as a sign of weakness. The fact that a mere man could take away these idols of what he thinks is Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. He's taken away all of these, and therefore, if, if Hezekiah can do that, well, then Sennacherib definitely can do that. right? That's his point here. When he says that, that how can you say that we're, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he... Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away, and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. So he's misunderstanding the reforms of Hezekiah as weakness of this, of this so-called God of the, the, the Israelites. Okay, He has a complete misunderstanding of what it is that Hezekiah did. Hezekiah took away the stuff that was taken away from their focus on the Lord God Almighty. And he pointed them to the one place where he was to be worshipped, at, at, at the temple, at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the altar, right? Not these high places. And so he's, he's completely missed the point. And because of that, he says, you can't trust in your God. Because this, this mere king, Hezekiah, was able to take away all of this, right? He goes on to say, if, if, if you will just pledge yourself to, to my master, the king of Assyria, verse 8, and I'll give you t- 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on he's kind of making fun of them right you guys are so pathetic we'll give you 2000 horses you can't even find enough people to put them on to put on them he's he's really kind of making fun of them here right um he says how how then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants i don't even need this whole army i just need one of my one of my lowest captains can come in here and take you guys out he says have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Now that really gets interesting. Because he's saying now that your God came and told me that we are going to destroy you. Was that a true message? Had he really received that message from God? Yes or no? 50 50. Except I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because we're about to see what happens when, when, when Hezekiah goes before God here. Okay? So, so let, let's, let's take a look at this. Um, so the three servants say, you know what? <clears throat> We'd really appreciate it if you'd talk to us in Aramaic rather than Hebrew. Why did they say that? Yeah, they're outside of the walls of Jerusalem within earshot of the people in Jerusalem, right? People in Jerusalem are speaking what? Hebrew. Most of them would not understand Aramaic. So he says, talk to us in Aramaic so that we don't, you know, kind of freak these guys out. Well that, that was probably not the smartest thing to tell your enemy, right? Because what is the next thing that he does, right? He starts yelling out in a loud voice in Hebrew, saying this stuff, right? So we got some psychological warfare going on here. He is trying to intimidate and destroy the morale of the people inside of Jerusalem before they even have to fight. He's trying to make it so obvious that they're going to lose, they're going to be destroyed, that, that, that they won't even have to, to, to come in and, and, and wipe out Jerusalem. They're just going to lay down their arms. Um, <clears throat> he says in verse 12, though, um, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, he's talking about all the rest of the people that are out there listening, who will eat and drink their own waste with you. That's kind of gross. What's the implied threat there? Yeah, they're going to have their water source cut off, they're going to be under siege, and they're going to be starving, and they're, and they're going to eat their own waste. Eat and drink their own waste, is what he's saying. Which is kind of interesting, because in, in the very next thing, look at, the, look at, look at this verse here. In, um, let's start in verse 14. Thus says the king, he's talking about Senn- Sennacherib now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to destroy you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given in, into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you will eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree. And every one will drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you to, to, away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. What's this guy trying to do here. He just said that everybody in there is going to be eating and drinking their own waste. And now he's saying, oh, but if you'll surrender, what will happen? You get to eat from your own vine, from your own fig tree. You're going to drink the waters of your own cistern. That sounds a lot better than eating and drinking your own waste, personally. I think that's, that's where my vote would be. Um, and, and, oh yeah, we will take you away as slaves, into a land, but it's going to be okay because that land is just like this land. It's going to be so nice, just like their own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. He said, beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying the Lord will deliver us. And then he goes on to name all these different places that he conquered. He said, were the gods able to conquer any of the, save any of these lands? No. And then in verse 21, the three, the three servants, it said, held their peace And answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Why do you think Hezekiah sent these servants out there to hear what the servant of Sennacherib had to say, but then instructed them not to respond to him? Let the Lord do the talking. Okay, good. Any other thoughts about why? Do you think Hezekiah kind of knew what this guy was going to say? I think he did. <laughs> so did he really need necessarily to hear what it was that he was going to say? And, and every time that you, you respond, have you ever been in an argument with somebody and after a while you just realize that, that they don't really care, they just enjoy the argument? They don't really care whether they win or not. They don't care whether they're making good points or not. They just enjoy the argument, you know. I think that, that some of this is is he's he's trying to limit the amount of propaganda that the servant is able to, to deliver. And so by not answering them, he did not give them and he did not give him an opportunity to continue to talk about what was going to happen to the city. So then, this, then the three servants, uh, Eliakim. Um, Shebna and Joab, come back to Hezekiah. And how do they come back? Verse 22. The clothes were torn. So they got beat up. They got... What What happened? What, 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 is, what is the indication of their clothes being torn? So blasphemy against their God. So they, they were very upset about this. Yeah, seems like it, right? They were very, very upset about that, right? And in fact, it says in in verse 1 of 37, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, what did he do? He tore his clothes, right, as well, as a sign of extreme um, distress, Yeah. It may, it may have been. Right. We don't have to answer. They, they've said everything that they need to say. And it's certainly obvious to all the people there and certainly to God what, what, what was on their minds, right, as far as destroying. Yep. So he goes on and, and covers himself with sackcloth, goes into the house of the Lord, and then he sends those servants to go find Isaiah. And they, they ask Isaiah to pray. Um, because of, because of the, um, the blasphemy that has come out of the mouth of, of this guy, of, of the fact that he has uh, you know, really blasphemed um, the Lord God Almighty. And it says, uh, verse 5, So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, this is God's message to Hezekiah, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So then the servant returns to to, to, Sennacherib, to, to yeah, to, uh, to King Sennacherib and uh, found him waging war against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. Now Lachish is, I probably ought to use these, these nice slides that, That Nathan provided for me, huh? We've already gone through all of this stuff. We're into 36 to 39. By the way, did you ever notice that the the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters? How many books of the Bible are there? Huh. How many Old Testament books are there? 39. Huh. How many New Testament? 27? Interesting. It's an interesting break in Isaiah. 66 books. And right at 39, the break between the Old Testament and New Testament, as far as books are concerned, it is a break between what is going to happen to Israel, to Judah, and words of comfort that happen, the deliverance from captivity, of the Messiah, and his, and his kingdom. So it's almost like Isaiah is almost like a miniature little Bible, actually, in some ways. It's Old Testament, 30, uh, 39 books, 39 chapters. And then the last twenty-seven chapters are, are much more messianic focused and focused on the on the future. Anyway, just a little bit of trivia for you. No extra charge for that. Um, here's the here's the Assyrian campaign in Judah. Um, uh, Sennacherib coming down to Lachish um, sends his army on up to Jerusalem. He he takes the city of Lachish. Okay, he takes it in a, in a siege um, that uh, was pretty impressive, actually. Um, in fact. He wrote about it or had it written about. We have a record of what Sennacherib had to say about Lakish. That's how important it was for him. He says this 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 is essentially the words of Sennacherib, scribed from you know, a couple thousand years ago. As to Hezekiah, actually more than that, um, 3,000 years ago. As to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts into countless small villages in their vicinity and conquered them by means of well-stamped earth ramps, battering rams brought thus near to the walls, combined with the attack by foot soldiers using mines, breaches, as well as sapper work. I drove out of them two hundred thousand, two hundred one hundred. two hundred one 200,150 people, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, big and small cattle, beyond counting and considered them booty. Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem. He's talking about Hezekiah now. Um, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage, I surrounded him with earthwork in order to molest those who were leaving his city's gates. So it's interesting here, um, this, this idea of this, this siege of Lachish going on, because this was a... Um, a relief. This is actually a mural um, found in his palace, and this is a huge. This is in the, the British uh, Museum of Natural History, I believe it is. British Museum of History. And uh, Nathan had some pictures he wanted to show. This thing is absolutely enormous. Um, it looks just like stuff, but if you look at the details of it, um, this is actually a. This is, does it. This have, have a pointer, a laser on it. No pointer. It does. Ah, look at that. That's so cool. Technology. Um, okay, so this, this, is, this is an earthen ramp up which is being pushed this wheeled siege engine that has battering rams here that are piercing the walls here. And we've got archers coming up behind it. Okay, so this is the siege of Lachish coming, showing you how, how this was done. Here's um, the, the defenders of Lachish here up in their towers with their shields and their, um, their archers that are firing down on the siege army, the Assyrian army. And then after the city was taken, um, these are people being impaled. Which is kind of gross, huh? But that was some of the stuff that they did with some of the prisoners that they, that they took out of the city. Um, so th- it was completely w- wiped out, Lachish. And then they took him into exile. There's prisoners here that are being forced into exile, uh, being forced in- into slave out-, out of Lachish. He said over 200,000 people. That, now, that's, that's not just Lachish. That's, that's these 46 cities, he said, that he had taken, um, taken over. But did you notice something kind of interestingly missing out of that description from Sennacherib? Doesn't, it doesn't say anything about Jerusalem, does it? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of, I wish James, James Andrews isn't here tonight, is he? If an army came up against northern Alabama and was laying siege to all the cities, and, and later on you, re- you recorded this and, and you said, Look at me, I took over Big Cove. Wiped it out. Nothing left of it. And I surrounded Huntsville. That's it. That's all the history. It never says anything about Jerusalem being taken. Why would he spend all this time describing in, in detail what happened in Lachish and not talk about Jerusalem at all? Well, because Jerusalem wasn't taken. And how do we know that? We'll keep reading. Hezekiah took this letter that came after uh, Rabashek came back and uh, again was saying there's no way, you can't trust in, in your God, it's not going to happen. And Hezekiah in verse 14, Isaiah 37, 14, he takes this letter and he spreads it before the Lord in the house of the Lord and prays to God and he says, O Lord, I'm in verse 16 now, of Host, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, save us from, our hand, from his hand. What is the purpose? Why does Hezekiah want God to save them? Just so that they save their own lives, that they keep on living, that they don't have to eat and drink their own waste? What does he say? That all, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. See, Hezekiah doesn't deny the fact that the king of Assyria has wiped out all these other gods. His point is that they weren't gods. His point is that they were just made by human hands, and they burned just like stuff made by human hands. But the one true God, you can't beat him. You're not going to be able to, because he's real. He is the only God. And so he asks, he pleads with God, that he would deliver them in order to show the kingdoms of the earth that they would know that he indeed was God. And so Isaiah, in verse 21, sends a message to Hezekiah. He says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word with which the Lord has spoken concerning him. I'm going to skip down to the punchline, which is in verse 33. Isaiah 37, 33 Therefore, says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and, my, and for my servant David's sake. And how did God save the people of Jerusalem? An angel of the Lord went out, verse 36, and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. (laughs) Right? (laughs) <laughs> well, there are obviously some survivors, right? <laughs> you the bodies side by side. If they average two foot, be 70 miles. 70 miles of bodies if, if you laid them side by side. Wow. If, if you do the math, and I as an engineer kind of forced to, right? I'm required to. Um, one angel of the Lord, one night. 185,000 people dead. That's averaging around 250 deaths per minute. Now think about this. Matthew, I think it's Matthew 26. Jesus said that he that he could call 12 legions of angels. Twelve legions, legions, five to six thousand angels times twelve. One angel, one knight, one hundred eighty-five thousand. Twelve legions of angels. Can you imagine what kind of destruction they could have wrought? That's the kind of power that he had. He was not going to call them because he he had a mission to do. But he could have. And we get just kind of a sense of of the power of the angels here. And so we know from Sennacherib's own writings that he didn't take Jerusalem. And we know from the Bible that he did not take Jerusalem. He departed, it says in verse 37, and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. And then eventually was killed by his own sons. Yeah. Okay. Um, Moving on to Hezekiah... Hezekiah's uh, sickness and his health here in uh, ver- uh, chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. <clears throat> this is not long after what happened, okay? After Sennacherib turns around, after he loses 185,000 men in one night, you know, light bulb, uh, maybe I shouldn't be here, maybe I need to go back home. He goes, turns around and goes home, right? Hezekiah, not long after, if you do the math, because it was 14 years when this started, and he's about to have 15 more years of of kingship, and he had a 29 year reign. So this happened very soon after. He was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. That's pretty serious. Hezekiah's response is kind of interesting, though. He says, says, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you in the city from the from the hand of the king of Assyria. So apparently he hasn't actually even left yet, and I will defend this city. And this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which you have spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on a sundial which has gone down with the sun of the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone. And so Hezekiah after he had been sick and recovered from his, his sickness, talks about the fact that, that he felt like he was being cut off in the prime of his life. He felt like he, had, he, he was not going to live any longer. And he, he was very, very upset about that, as you might expect. And yet it is interesting in verse 15 when he says this, Isaiah 38, 15, What shall I say? He has both spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in these, these things is life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. Have you ever had things in your life that at the time you were going through them, you were thinking, why? Why, do I ha- why is God doing this? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Why? And maybe later on you were able to look back at it and say, I think I understand now. I think that there was some growth that I needed. There was something that I needed for my own peace that I had to go through this. Has anybody ever had an experience like that? If you haven't, I suspect you probably will. God is there, though, in the bitterness and in the blessing. He was ready to save me, he says in verse 20. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Those are the things that Hezekiah saw in his life. Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. Was Ahaz, oh, this is another one of those 50 50s, okay? Good king, bad king. He was a bad king. Hezekiah was one of the best kings, right? And yet, he had a lot of bitterness happen to him in his life. But in his life summary, in Second uh, Kings chapter 18, about Hezekiah said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, in accordance with everything that his father David had done. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and after him there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who came before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not desist from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. What kinds of things do you see in there in his life that you would like people to say about your life? What's that? Trust? The trust? Yeah. trusted in the Lord. He did not desist from following him. It wasn't an on-again, off-again thing. It was consistent with him. Kept his commandments. All right, let's finish up chapter 39 now. So the king of Babylon is going to send letters and a presence to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. King of Babylon is going to send his envoys to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is going to show these envoys, all the treasure, all the wealth that he has, all the arms that he has, all the weapons that he has. Does this seem like a good idea to anybody? No. <laughs> this doesn't seem particularly smart here, does it? I mean, it would be like if we were to invite Putin over to inspect our most secret bases and come look in Fort Knox and see how much gold we've got. And that's that's the equivalent of what he's doing here. He's bringing Babylon, the next empire that's going to come along. He's bringing those people in and showing them everything. Come and see it. Hey, if you take us over, look at all this money you can get, you know? And by the way, look how weak we are militarily. He's kind of inviting problems here, right? Jeff. If you're the strongest, then then you can then you can do all that stuff. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you can convince yourself that you're the strongest, and you, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. So he says um, in in verse three, then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, "What did these men say, and from where did they come to you?" So Hezekiah said, "They came to me from a far country, from Babylon." And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Now, is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Let's see what Isaiah's reaction is here. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house... And what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, is that good news or bad news? <laughs> good news for Babylon. Not so, not so good news for Hezekiah, right? This is pretty bad news. But look at Hezekiah's response here. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Why? Why did he say that? It says right there in the verse. Okay, It's open book test here. You can say it. Yeah. For at least there will be peace and truth in my days. So, ah, yeah, my sons are going to have a bad time of it. Okay? That's going to be, yeah. Okay, they're going to be made eunuchs and they're going to have to go into captivity and they're going to go to the palace of the king of Babylon and we're going to lose all this stuff. But the good news is, It's not going to happen when I'm around. Hezekiah was human, just like all the rest of us, right? Sometimes we focus on the worldly things. He was not spiritual 100% of the time. Sometimes he, 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 he focused on the wrong things as well. But he trusted in the Lord. Let's do the same thing. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School. West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.